Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. Good morning. All right, family service, best service, love this. How are we doing? Good, good, good. I'm doing good too. I thought I'd begin by just addressing the elephant in the room. Uh, Yes, I am wearing shorts up here. Um, I'm not sure I've preached in shorts before, like just being perfectly honest, I've not been in settings where that was like a, an okay thing, and I just kind of went for it today. Um, I, I maybe should have let Gianna know last night, she could have like sent out in the email, like warning, you'll see kneecaps, um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, no one's fallen over yet, so I guess we're, we're kind of doing all right. Um, I'm excited to, to get back into... Um, the beginning of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. If you want to, if you got your Bible, go ahead and open up there. Uh, but f- before we dive into that passage this morning, though, I want to, to take a quick step back to last week and just ask a, a follow-up question. I know that's super annoying uh, to ask something that applies to last week. I know we kind of want to just leave last week at last week and move on to the next, but that's the whole point. I, I asked you at the end last week, what are, you, what are you going to do with the love of God? What are you going to do with the love of God this week? So I want to start by asking you this week, what did you do with the love of God this last week? What did you do? Uh, was it something that um, you just left here on, on Sunday morning? Or did you go after it? Did you find yourself, did you find ways to get in the way of the love of God, to be reminded that the love of God is for you each and every day, each and every Moment, and as I was reflecting on that a little bit this week, I, I just I kept coming back to, like, what's the first thing that comes to mind when we think about this life of faith? When we think about following Jesus? When we think about Christianity? I think for so many today, Christianity is associated with a stance on an issue, a belief in this thing or that thing. Uh, I'm right, or I'm, or you, and you're wrong. It was usually how that, that goes. And there is so much room and so much time and so much space to care deeply about beliefs. But if stances on issues come before our attention towards the love of God, we, what we believe is, is just going to fizzle. And it's going to be expressed in ways that are not loving, that are not Christ-like. We can believe, we believe in Jesus with all of our hearts and yet end up expressing that in a way that's not helpful for others. That's not good for others. That's not healing for others. We want others to experience the healing that we ourselves have experienced. As Tom was just saying there, that's how we're going to end today actually as well, talking about the healing that Jesus wants to do in our lives. And sometimes we get just so caught up in the little things along the way and forget that first and foremost, it is God's love for us that ought to be marking each and every part of our life. So what did you do with it this week? What are you going to do? I'll keep, I'll keep pestering. Let's look at Matthew chapter four. Last week was the baptism of Jesus. This week now we get the temptation of Jesus. What an interesting little story, right? Uh, let's just go ahead and read through it. Matthew 4, the first 11 verses. 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up uh, in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put put the Lord your God to the test. Uh, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to him. Matthew provides us a little transition from the baptism story to the temptation story with this little phrase. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. As we read through the Gospels, uh, both together corporately, but also individually in our time in in Scripture, um, I think we, we need to be paying more attention to just like the little details about the life of Jesus. And if it had to be true of Jesus, it should probably also be true of us. Nowhere is that more true than in this little spot here. What an interesting little detail that Jesus was himself led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to the wilderness. If Jesus needed some prompting, some guiding, some some leading by the Holy Spirit, um, how much more is that the case for us? What are we doing to develop that sensitivity? I I, I come to believe more and more over each um, season of life that we are indeed built for seasons. We're we're built for. Um, I mean, I love living in a place where we get to experience. I mean, we could say all four seasons. I'm not sure we actually had spring this year. It was just like winter until May, and now it's 90 degrees. Like, I'm not sure we could call it spring. But it, theoretically, we get all four seasons here. But it's, it's just a good reminder that as it goes outside, so it goes inside. And our sensitivity to where the Spirit is moving us, prompting us, pushing us, pulling us, like our sensitivity to that is like crucial to our overall health, to our overall vitality in our walk with God, being sensitive to the little things that the Spirit is prompting us towards. I love this just little detail. Jesus was led by the Spirit. Where? Into the wilderness. Jesus and the wilderness is actually... Um, it's kind of a theme that comes up throughout each of, uh, each of the Gospels. Uh, Jesus winds up out and about. And I, uh, I love this about Jesus, because uh, I like to be out and about as well. Um, he likes to get out and just like have some, have some space. Um, but in, in this particular instance, I think Matthew is trying 
to tell the story in a particular way. If you remember back to last week, we were talking about how Jesus is sort of um, continuing the story of Israel or rehashing, recapitulating the story of Israel in a way. Now, if you think back to that moment in Israel's story, when they were delivered through water, remember last week that the baptism, Jesus being delivered through the water, what's the big moment in Israel's story when they are delivered through water? Well, it's at the Red Sea. It's the Exodus. And then what happens? Where do they head right after they're delivered through water? They head to the wilderness. And Matthew's like, look, Jesus is doing the same thing. Now, when Israel went to the wilderness, how did it go? Not good. Not, uh, a solid not good uh, is what we could say to that. Um, poor. Wandering and wandering and wandering. And as Jesus continues the story of Israel, he's redeeming every last little bit. Israel needs a new wilderness narrative, one that goes faithfully, one that goes well. Jesus is overcoming the unfaithfulness of Israel by heading out to the wilderness, experiencing temptation in the same way that they did, and yet standing up under it. Now, how does... um, Jesus spends his time when he's out in the wilderness. Well, he, he does so by practicing the spiritual disciplines. Um, we see a, a number of, of different disciplines throughout uh, Jesus' life, the different like, practices uh, of his own life that were important to him. And again, I would say if it's important for Jesus, it should probably be uh, important for us as well. But just in this story alone. We see him fasting, so intentionally like removing something from his life so that he could give himself to prayer, fasting, prayer, solitude. Uh, we see him engaging scripture. All of these various things that were like part of the fabric of his life, not some add-on, not some extra thing, but just part of the fabric of the life of, of Jesus himself. Spiritual disciplines are really just practices that, G, that, Jesus, that we find in the life of Jesus that we want to like, embody for ourselves, that make, make habits for ourselves. So we can think about, it as, is fasting something that we ought to incorporate? Maybe solitude is something that is just um, lacking. It, it's so easy. It's easier than ever to live a life without solitude. With all of the noise, all of the busyness, all of the stuff that like fills up the, the moments of our life. If we don't go get solitude, it, it's never going to come to us, right? We have, to, we have to make it, that's why we call it a discipline. We have to make it a habit in some, in some sense. And now that's going to look different for everybody. The last thing we want to do with the discipline is say, okay, here's another chore for me to do. Here's another thing to incorporate into my life. Here's another thing I've, I've got to do. No. What, the way I like to think about the disciplines is like, how, how can I, with my schedule, with my life, with my commitments, my responsibilities right here and now, how can I use that space and time and find within that space and time, like, where's, where's that extra 2% that I can go to give attention to to God. And as, and as we slowly but surely over time incorporate little disciplines here and there, what we'll find is God just kind of working, the Spirit working its way into our lives more and more. Little by little. This is not, 
This is not like, oh, I'm going to spend my entire day praying. I'm going to spend my entire day whatever. Like that, Maybe that's a good thing to do. That is absolutely a good thing to do. But again, seasons. There's some moments where that's okay. Most of the time, though, that's not okay. Most of the time, we're just like outliving our regular lives. And it's, it's more about what are the little disciplines along the way? The little ways that we can find ways to get prayer and scripture and community into the fabric of who we are. It would be natural, I think, to imagine this moment here, 40 days into fasting, where I love, this is like understated Bible um, verses here, uh, Jesus fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, comma, he was hungry. Uh, yes, I imagine so. Uh, but, it, but it's natural for us to think of Jesus in that moment of being at his lowest or being at his, his weakest. But I, I don't think that's the story that's being told here. Think about the bigger context. Jesus has just heard the most important thing anyone can hear. God the Father says, This is my Son, whom I love, whom I'm happy with. Jesus hears that truth, and then for 40 days and nights, heads out to the mountains just to think about that just to meditate on that one truth. Jesus is not at his weakest. Jesus is at his best in this moment. Nothing is in the way of Jesus thinking deeply about the love of God for him. That's what the disciplines do. They get us thinking about the love of God for us. And so the, the devil then comes to tempt, but not at a weak point, but at a strong point. I think this is how we begin to answer the question, what do we do with the love of God? The disciplines are our, our avenue to like orienting our life towards, putting our attention towards that which is most true of us. And then the tempter comes. And it's a natural question, I think, how, how is it that Jesus can actually experience temptation? Uh, Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, and yet he did so without sin. He didn't ever mess up. And so uh, I don't know about you, but I've experienced temptation and have uh, given it. Uh, am I the only one? No. No, okay, okay, good. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I mean, not great, great, but you know, it's good. To, it's it's good to know that we're on the same page. <laughs> but the question would be, if if someone has experienced temptation and not given in, how could they possibly know the full weight of the pressure of, of a temptation and whatnot? And for this point, I have, a, I have a little illustration. You may have noticed that there is a stick and a pen on your table, a little stick and a little pen. Um, I, I love a, a sermon where I can spend a little time foraging out in the bushes uh, to get ready, get ready for uh, a little illustration here. So what I want you to do is to take the stick first and see, see how much pressure it takes to break that stick. Okay. 
I think Tom might need some. Okay, you got it. Yeah, I thought you were going to need a little help there for a second. We're breaking it. Get it? The stick breaking fairly easily. No? Right? Okay. It doesn't take a whole lot of pressure to break just a regular little twig off the ground. Now, there's also a pen on your table. Now, grab that pen. And I'm going to ask you to not just go ahead and break the, break the pen, right? Can we, can we not, like, try to prove a point and ruin my illustration? But um, how much more pressure can that pen take? Like, this much pressure is what was, be- what was breaking my stick, right? But I can't, I can't quite get the pen, right? Now, Jesus is stronger than a little, like, uh, Sharpie pen, uh, more like an iron rod, never going to give in. The, the point is that Jesus, actually not giving in, can take on so much more pressure than what we do. We, we crack so easy, we snap in the blink of an eye. And Jesus, under the greatest of pressure, hungry, being tempted, being told untruths, is strong, redeems that which we cannot redeem on our own. I want to look just for a moment here at the kind of things that Jesus is getting tempted with. First, in in verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, what's what's happening there? Questioning, just, yeah, sowing some doubt. Sowing some, some little seeds of doubt about what? Who he is, the very thing that he had been meditating on for 40 days. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the devil comes, it comes in and says, well, really? Are you actually? If you are. This is how both of the first two there's, there's three temptations, and the first two start like this. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Telling these stones to become bread, a bad thing in and of itself? No, not, not a wrong thing to do. But the point was, he was getting at the identity. He was, he was trying to question this core piece of who Jesus was. The next one, if you are the Son of God, verse 6. Throw yourself down. Four is written. And, and here, we, here we have the devil quoting scripture. Um, and doing so accurately, word for word, right. Uh, but this is a good reminder that just accurately quoting a scripture is not the same as... Um, you can accurately quote scripture and still misquote scripture by, by robbing it out of, out of its context. Right. So the devil says, he, he will command his angels concerning you that they will lift, up, <coughs> lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus is like, yeah, but this, that's not what we're doing here. That's not why I came out here. Jesus knew why he was in the wilderness. It wasn't to prove some big point. It was to be reminded of who he is, and that's what the devil is trying to get at. Half-truths are often far more compelling and pernicious than outright lies. We can usually see an outright lie for what it is, but a half-truth gets us thinking. A half-truth 
can get us just a little bit off course. And if we're a little bit off course here, who knows where we'll go down the, down the road. And then there's the final temptation where the devil's like, well, first, first two didn't work, so he changes tax. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Looking at all the kingdoms of the world, and Jesus knows, like, I don't need that from you. What starts out as little, like, subtle half-truths turns into an outright invitation to idolatry. And Jesus is like, I'm not going down that road. Now, where does the strength that Jesus have come from? Well, it comes from this 40 days of of being with God, of, of meditating. But it also comes, look at the backbone of each of his answers. It's scripture. It's scripture. It's Bible over and over and over again. If we think that we can fight temptation, if we can stand up under pressure without the bedrock foundation of like who God is and what is true of us in like working its way into our heart and mind on a, at a regular basis, at a normal intake, if we think we can do it without that, then we're fooling ourselves. Jesus, led by the Spirit, and then Solitude, fasting, prayer, and scripture. Like, these are the things that hold up his life. If they need to be true of his life, how much more so of ours? And again, the point is not to be like, well, I'm not doing solitude and fasting and prayer and scripture in the way I should. And so to start some program where you're trying to do all five all at once this week, that's not the point. It's like, what little thing can we be adding each and every day, each and every week? That's the growth. That's the, that's the wisdom over time that faithfulness looks like. That's the new season that Jesus calls us to each and every time. I, th- I think it's so fascinating that we have a story of Jesus being tempted here. It's... it's Fixing in some way the wilderness narrative that Israel had. But I think it's doing something else as well. I think Jesus is also redeeming the garden. What's the opposite of a barren wilderness? Um, a lush garden. Hmm? Maybe a little bit like Eden. Um, what, what happens in the garden? Well, we get a tempter, an adversary, a chaos creature coming and, and saying, not if you are God's son, but saying, did God really say? It's the same question, right? Did God really say you are beloved is what Satan says here. I think it's supposed to be a pretty clear parallel that the devil is coming back and asking the exact same question. That Eve, in a situation, a a land of plenty, a garden abounding in in anything she could possibly want versus Jesus coming out of the barren wilderness having fasted, he undoes that piece. I think Jesus in this moment is saying, the original fall, the original sin, the original giving in to half-truths and temptation. I'm going to undo that as well. I'm about to bring redemption to the whole project. But what do, what do we do with 
this story. It's nice that Jesus is, is helping unfold this bigger picture of redemption, kind of starting coming out of the, the Old Testament and setting up his, uh, his ministry and all that. But what does that mean for us? Well, I, I think it's, it's pretty interesting that we actually get a clue from Scripture. If you turn over to Hebrews 4, we find out what, one of the, what some of the early Christians thought about and how they used and applied uh, the, te- the temptation of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4. The last few verses, verses 14 through 16, um, one of the big themes of the book of Hebrews, it, 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 again, a very Old Testament-y book, a lot of Old Testament themes, and, and one of the main points of Hebrews is pointing out how Jesus is the new and perfect high priest. But look at how this is connected here. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Here's our direct tie-in. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then, because of the temptation of Jesus, the the faithful standing up under temptation of Jesus, because of that, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Is that not wild? The author of Hebrews says it's the fact that Jesus was tempted and felt all of the, the pressure that you and I feel. That very fact gives us grounds to go to him and say, help! I can't do it on my own. But, but because of the grace of God, he understands. By his mercy, he knows. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other way of trying to conceive of God and the world. It, it, we don't have a God who's sitting up in heaven or sitting at a distance, snapping fingers, saying, hey, get your act together. Can we, can we get this thing going? Instead, we have a God who got involved, got his hands dirty, got dirt under his fingernails, felt what we feel, hurt how we hurt, so that he can heal what needs to be healed. He went in and felt every bit of that that we did. When it comes to healing in our life, Jesus leaves no stone unturned. There's no, there's no thing that we can bring to him that where he's like, nah, I haven't seen that before. There's none of that with God. He redeems every shortcoming. He undoes the garden. He undoes Israel's wilderness wandering, and he undoes, he redeems the stuff in our lives that we don't feel. There's no, there's no part of our lives that should feel helpless because of this. Some of us deal with addiction on, on some level, and that temptation just feels like unbearable. Some of, some of us deal with temptation in, in other ways. 
But we've all got broken stuff. We've all got broken stuff that needs, that desperately, desperately needs healing. And the, 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 the temptation, the faithful standing up under temptation of Jesus reminds us that he cares about every last little bit. Now, Tom and I didn't, like, coordinate this earlier uh, when he... He kind of invited us to say, like, "Hey, if I'm if if I need healing, if you, I, I'm going to I'm going to put myself out there a little bit." But I, I I want to close with just this this simple question: What area in your life do you need God to bring healing to right now? And and I want to be very clear that that could be across a large gamut of stuff. Maybe it's a physical thing that God that you need God to come and heal in your body. Maybe it's a spiritual thing. Maybe there's something in your soul that's just not right, something that's been broken for a little while. Maybe for you, healing, maybe there's some bitterness, some lingering bitterness towards God, and healing for you just needs to be letting that out and telling God how, how it is right now. We have a whole book of the Bible devoted to this. It's the Psalms, the Lamentations as well, but the Psalms give us so much room to, to heal as we, as we vent, as we vent faithfully before, before God. What's the area right now? And sometimes when we think about healing, we think about these big wholesale changes that need to happen. And maybe that is, maybe that is true and is coming for you. But maybe it's just, maybe it's something small as well. We don't have to get overwhelmed. I don't want us to feel overwhelmed by this question is what I'm trying to say. But what's, where, do we, where do you need it? What's that festering peace in your heart? And do you know that the God of the universe not only cares about it, but has borne up under that same hurt, that same pressure? We're going to come together and we're going to sing again as a, as a worship team comes up. We're going to sing again. Um, our, we're going to have a prayer team up here as well. If you, if you feel like you, uh, if there's something stirring in your heart right now, and it would be helpful. Sometimes, sometimes when we have something stirring in our hearts, it's hard to find words uh, to, to put to it. And there's great passages in Scripture that tell us that the Holy Spirit intercedes, and it's just like He gives words when we don't when we don't have them. But also, we get to do this in community. And sometimes, what you need is just somebody else to to pray for you. Somebody else to put words to that which you can't. Uh, so we're going to have a prayer team up here. If you want uh, to share that with somebody, you can you can do that. Um, and then we'll, yeah, we'll sing together as we.